again, good morning. Good morning. Want to make sure you're still awake. Some of you got that extra hour of sleep and you're in a little fog today, aren't you? Just a little too much sleep. Uh, there's coffee in the back, just a reminder if you need it. Okay. Hey, um, today I'm excited. We're finishing our series on the book of Ephesians. It's an amazing book that Paul wrote um, a few years ago. And this, this book, the primary purpose of the book is this idea of identity, to figure out who we are, and the phrase over and over again that's used is that we are in Christ. And by being in Christ, we have the benefits, the privileges, the relationship with Jesus. Honestly, it makes no sense to me. It's extraordinary. It is amazing grace that everything that is said about Jesus, the Father says about you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus. That's what it means to be in Christ. So, today we're going to finish up. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Two weeks ago, uh, we, we looked at this, this gem. I just love this verse. And further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul, if you recall, he's writing to a church in Ephesus, which is a, church, a city in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. You can go there today. It's fascinating. I think it's one of the most amazing archaeological finds in the, in the world today. I traveled there. It's, it's incredible. It's like a real place, real people. As I, I love to say, our, our Bible, our faith is not built on fairy tales. It's not built on dreams and imaginations. It's built on historical figures, real places, real people. We saw two weeks ago how this submit to one another out of reverence for Christ relates to husbands and wives. And today uh, we're going to just kind of finish up that section and then move into what is one of the most interesting, provocative, exciting passages, I believe, in the entire Bible. Uh, So this next section, verse 5, it relates to slaves and masters. And let me just kind of give you a little heads up before we get into this. Because uh, whenever we think of slaves in our nation's history, we think of the antebellum era. We think about how, um, you know, it just it boggles my mind to think that people would be kidnapped and taken on the, to the other side of the world and treated like animals. Well, let's just read it. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all of your heart. Now, I said what it's not. It was not antebellum slavery, so what was it? Well, in the Roman Empire, there were about 120 million people, and about 60 million were slaves. So imagine if half of the country, half of, half of our, our civilization, were slaves. It might be better to use the word servant. I know there's a number of debates, arguments, anytime we deal with cultural issues that are 2,000 years old, there's some variation. But you could be a a servant or a slave for a number of reasons. Uh, Very different, again, than Civil War era. Often it was related to some debt that you had to pay. You would need to, you know the old thing about you don't pay your, you can't pay your bill at the restaurant, so they make you do the dishes. I mean, not quite like that, but the same idea of like working off of a debt. We would relate this today maybe to bosses and subordinates. And I know a number of you are retired. Uh, I have no idea what that's like, but it sounds fun. Uh, but to those of you, if you were retired, then you had a boss probably at one point. 
So you think about a, a working relationship. Most of us are involved in some sort of working relationship or we've experienced that. So imagine instead of slave, maybe insert servant. Instead of servant, maybe replace the word worker. So workers, laborers, obey your earthly masters, your boss with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Work not for the boss, work for Jesus. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, work, play, do it all for the glory of God. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you, as slaves of Christ, and that is an appropriate phrase, actually, slaves of Christ, because if you are a slave of Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have no rights. I got one amen. Yeah. That's not a popular thing, right? Oh, we want our rights. We want our rights. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have no rights. You're a slave to God. And actually, if, you, if you're uncomfortable with that, there are some passages that relate to Jesus as a slave, a servant, that he came as a humble servant, set aside all the glory and majesty of heaven and his deity to come and serve, not to be served. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. And then he goes to masters or bosses, servants. Some of you own companies. Some of you have subordinates. You're a boss. I actually have a team that I lead, and I have to think about this. Masters, treat your slaves, your employees, your subordinates in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Or if you want to summarize this whole book in two phrases, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Awesome God, I'm so grateful for your word, the power of your word. It is a, truly a, a sword. It, it has life. It has instruction. It has deep, deep wisdom. And I pray that these ancient words would be nourishment for our mind, body, and soul today. Holy Spirit, would you come and speak? Speak to me, through me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my rock, my redeemer, my king. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible is filled with metaphors, parables, images designed to help us understand spiritual realities in a physical sort of way. I love metaphors and analogies. I probably abuse them. I seem to have a, a metaphor for everything. I think I, I attribute a lot of it to teaching piano lessons to little kids because you always have to try to relate things on the basic level, the simplest level. Paul's final teaching in Ephesians introduces this metaphor, this motif of a battle, of armor, of, of warfare. And he says this, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I love that line. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Would you just say that with me? Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. We all want to be strong. We always see action movies, you know, whether it's the Marvel films or DC or, or even Rocky. Some of you remember Rocky back in the, you know, we want to be strong and powerful. Yeah. But notice Paul doesn't say be strong. He says be strong in the Lord 
He doesn't stop there. He says, and in his mighty power, our strength is not from our ability. It's not from us. It's from the power of God moving in and through us. And family, I want to tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have power and you have authority. Now, that's not power and authority for you to use for your own benefit. Hey, look, I can do tricks. You know, I can push this car across the street without turning it on. I can, I can bench press 1,000 pounds. I can, by the way. No, I, I can't. But not for our glory, but for God's glory. We are engaged in a war, family, a, a war. And we, we're rec- we recognize war when we turn on the news and we see what's going on in Israel and Gaza, when we see what's going on in Ukraine. And we recognize just how awful and how destructive, it, how powerful those forces are. We are engaged in an equally, if not more, powerful battle. It's a battle between good and evil. It's a battle that you and I experience every single day. And you can go to any country in the world, speak any language in the world, and you're going to have that same encounter because there are forces of good and evil at work all the time. And I believe it was C.S. Lewis that talked about how some people, they, they get really caught up in the spiritual warfare and they get overwhelmed and fearful. And that's one extreme that's very dangerous. The other extreme is to just ignore it altogether. Like, oh, there's no such thing. In fact, it's very interesting to me. There are more, more people believe in angels than demons. Just think about that for a second. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on God's armor. You don't go into to battle without preparation, without armor. I see all of you this morning, you chose to put on some clothes before you came today. Thank you very much. You were prepared, at least your body was prepared for this social time together. And in the same way, we need to put on God's armor so that we can be engaged in the activities in which he's called us to. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, this is where I want to focus for a bit today, because you you can't see our enemy. Our enemy is real. We see the effects of the enemy, but you can't see our enemy. It's, it's a little bit like the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. Some people will say, I can't see God. Well, no, you can't see God, but you can see the effects of God. You can't see love, but we, see, we know love is a real thing. Just because it doesn't fit in a test tube doesn't mean it's not real. You can't see the enemy, but the enemy is real. There are sp- spiritual forces that want to steal, kill, and destroy. I've shared this story, but it's worth repeating. Many years ago, I was, uh, for one of my, uh, I think it was a master's class, I had to interview someone of another faith. And so I found this gentleman. I, I called him the wizard. He looked like a wizard. Um, the white hair and the whole, the whole bit. He's a fascinating guy. He was a neo-pagan. And I sat down with him over lunch, and I said, you know, just help me understand your faith, your beliefs, the things that you go... Uh, first of all, he had a, a Ph.D. in philosophy. So he was a pretty learned man and a pretty aged man at that. So here's this very intellectually minded, very deep thinker, very experienced. He had, he had been involved in uh, neo-pagan work, whatever, however you would call that, for a long time. And he told me he would go out to the woods and talk to the goddess Isis and the deer and 
I wasn't sure how much um, preparation was involved for that. But whatever, whatever. I mean, we all have our thing, right? It was Michigan. Just saying. Some of you will get that later. Um, so we're going through, you know, what do you believe? What, what, like, what is, what is your faith built on? What is your authority? And then I said, I just asked him this question. I said, so, so tell me about evil. Does evil exist? And he says, of course evil exists. Absolutely evil exists. And he went on to embellish. And I said, where does evil come from? And, and, and he said, well, I don't believe in a devil with a red outfit and horns and a pitchfork like you do. I'm like, well, I can't even, that, that, I believe in Satan in a devil. I don't know about the pitchfork and horns. That was some comic book or something. But I said, okay, fine. So you don't, you don't believe in Satan. Where does evil come from? And he says, boy, I don't know. I almost fell off my chair. You have a PhD in philosophy and you have no explanation for evil. I mean, there are some religions that don't believe in evil. Everything's just wonderful and it's just all your imagination and I could deal with that. I mean, would disagree, but, you know, if, if you live in a fantasy world uh, where evil doesn't exist, read the newspaper. But he believed in evil, but he had no explanation for it. The Bible has an explanation for it and the word is Satan and the, the word is demons and these are spiritual realities. But here's the thing, family. The enemy, it says, is not flesh and blood. So let me say that. Say this. That means, despite what you may think, our government leaders are not the enemy. The gang leaders in our city are not the enemy. Drug dealers are not the enemy. Sex traffickers are not the enemy. Abortionists are not the enemy. They're all masterpieces created in the image of God with dignity, value, and worth that have been hijacked by the enemy, that are pawns of the enemy, that have been deceived by the enemy. Many of you have experienced a transformation in your life from darkness into light. And some of your stories are pretty, pretty dark. Some of them maybe not so dark. But regardless... Our enemy is an unseen force or forces. Family, we have to get this. Every time I look in the eye of another human being, I'm looking at a masterpiece, no matter who that person is. And there's a possibility that despite whatever occupation, whatever activity, whatever things they do that drive you crazy, think about your next-door neighbors in some, some cases. That they are not, not only are they not the enemy, they have the possibility and the hope of redemption. Several years ago when Saddam Hussein, uh, actually, well, Saddam Hussein, yes, and Osama bin Laden, both of those guys that we all know were enemies of this country. I remember, I, I spent a lot of time praying for them. I thought if those guys met Jesus the way that Saul met Jesus and became Paul, the one who was responsible for martyring Christians, becoming the guy who wrote this book, then surely there's hope for even these evil people. 
course, Scripture says no one is righteous, not even one. We are all broken. We are all sinful. We are all sinners in need of God's grace. So I need to linger here just for a moment because it's especially, especially during election season because it's so easy to demonize people. But every person is a masterpiece. The enemy is not people. The enemy are forces of darkness, spiritual forces that use people to accomplish their purposes. Real Christians don't hate, they love. And that means we are commanded to love everybody. Speaking of which, can I just, um, can I share from my heart for a moment? Uh, I'm super sick of politics. Uh, we have election this week. I've already voted. I know some of you voted. Uh, I absolutely despise partisan politics, and so we just don't go there because it's not about the elephant and the donkey. It's about the lion and the lamb. Uh, I know some of you have favorites on this side. That's great. There are moral issues that we can certainly address and should be addressed. But this whole partisan thing, I hate this guy. I hate these people. I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate. Real Christians don't hate. Real Christians love family. Here's the bottom line. We need to follow Jesus and do whatever would bring him glory in our lives. Voting isn't, I, I think you should vote. I think everyone should vote. It's a, it's a freedom. It's a privilege. It's not something that's in the Bible. The Roman Empire, they didn't have a chance to vote because half of them were slaves. But it's a privilege. But you can't stop at voting. I mean, voting takes about five minutes every year. How about follow Jesus the rest of the time, the rest of the year? What would Jesus do? This means caring for and protecting life from the womb to the tomb, which is why we support Bella Vida and others. This is why we care about refugees and widows and strangers and orphans. Those are things that Jesus would care about. We know he cared about. That's why we support people like Water for Ishmael. We need to be involved and engaged in helping in the, the widow, the stranger, the orphan, the, the poor, the unhoused, which is why we participate and serve and support Cherry Street Mission and Toledo Gospel Rescue Mission. You know, some of these issues are, are elephant issues. Some of them are donkey issues. Forget, forget the animals. What does it mean to glorify God? What does it mean to love well, to love people? Sin is rampant in our world, but people are not the enemy. They are pawns in a cosmic battle between good and evil. Don't blindly follow a TV commercial or a, line, a lawn sign. Stand up for what would honor Jesus. And that's all I'm going to say about that today. So then we get to the armor of God. This is the part that right now Sue and her children at Glass City Kids are probably, I, I haven't, I didn't talk to her about this, but this is one of the best lessons for kids. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And I, I should have brought some armor with me today. But I didn't have any. Sorry. So you have to use your imagination, all right? Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. 
Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Over and over, we hear this thing about standing firm, about persevering, about don't give up. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. An hour on Sunday is not enough, family. A quick prayer before bedtime is insufficient. We are in a war, and war is not a hobby or a part-time endeavor. It's a lifestyle. If, you, if you've ever been on a battlefield, and I'm grateful that I have not, but it's not like you punch a clock in, punch in, and punch out. You engage 24-7, 365. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. We need truth. We need righteousness, not self-righteousness. We need justice. The Christian message isn't true because it works. It works because it's true. Jesus declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. For shoes, put on the prince, uh, the prince, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. We have good news to proclaim to the world family. Jesus is Lord. King Jesus is Lord. That's the greatest news of all. That's the gospel, the good news. The Prince of Peace will return soon and, sent, and he sent the Holy Spirit to bring comfort and peace in the midst of the chaos of this world. We bring the gospel of peace wherever we go and we should be bringing peace wherever we go. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Now, this isn't just like arrows in archery range. Maybe some of you at camp, summer camp, you did the archery thing, and you tried to shoot the arrows, and that was fun. Uh, Now, of course, the latest thing is not arrows, but it's axes. You all know this? How many of you have thrown axes? Oh, wow, quite a few of you. Yeah, we did this a few years ago for our staff elder retreat. It was fun. We had these axes, and, you know, we're trying to to chuck them in the— no one got hurt. uh, although some went kind of crazy. And at Bruce's, we, we had like the little plastic. It was kind of fun. This isn't like that kind of archery. These are like fiery arrows. Imagine an arrow coming at you that's on fire. That's, that was part of the warfare that they had back then. Back in the day, the shield, the shield that, that Paul was imagining was made of wood covered with leather and about two feet by four feet. Now, obviously, this is a metaphor. He wasn't literally speaking of a shield. But just to give you a picture, it was common in the day for soldiers to bring their shields together, and they'd form this wall, this impenetrable wall. And then, as you see, they'd also have, like, kind of two shields. They'd try to cover the top, cover the—I mean, it'd be kind of hard to penetrate that, don't you think? So these fiery arrows would— be blocked by the shields. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. We used to have these things called sword drills when I was a little kid. And you'd get your Bible and the first one that could find the passage won a prize. Okay, I have to ask, how many of you have done a sword drill before? Oh, okay, so you know what I'm talking about. How many of you won a prize? No, that's okay. The helmet protects the mind where our actions begin. The sword of the spirit, it's the one offensive weapon. Everything else is defensive. And by the way, there's nothing for the back. It's all this movement, this force, stand your ground, move forward, engage the enemy, not with your power, but with God's power. Let's advance. I don't like retreats. Let's advance. I like retreats, but not for that reason. The sword of the spirit is the one offensive weapon piercing the heart. It brings healing and life 
except when we cripple the enemy, in which case it brings harm to the enemy. We must be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, these images are great, especially with children. As I said, Sue's probably having fun right now with this. But, family, I want you to be aware that we are in a battle, that God has given us tools, he's given us weapons. We need to use them. Maybe the most significant application is we need to be in this word. We need to know the sword. The enemy knows the sword. The enemy tried three times to use this against Jesus. Fortunately, Jesus knew it better than he did and tricked him at his own game. But we need to know the truth, and the truth will set us free. It's amazing to me how many Christians don't know the Word of God. How many Christians don't spend any time reading the Word of God? They prayed a prayer at summer camp, Friday night, campfire, cried a little bit, going to heaven when they die forget it. That's all. We're done. No, 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 no. That's not what it means to follow Jesus. This is life, family. This book is life. We need to be in it, reading it, studying it, listening to it, talking about it, discussing it, because the world has such influence in us, it's easy to forget that the world is full of lies, and this is full of truth. What are you going to choose? Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. I love how Paul recognizes that there's a, there's a battle going on and it's really going on everywhere. It was going on everywhere then. It's going on everywhere. Now we need to be playing, praying for believers. We need to be praying for persecuted believers. There's a group called the Voice of the Martyrs. They have a free newsletter you can get. There's a website you can see. And you can discover how, how persecuted Christians are living out their faith, are standing up against incredible forces, incredible pain and suffering. They actually pray for us that we would stand up. It's hard to imagine that people that are on the verge of martyrdom pray for us. But I've heard that a lot of them are praying for this country because this country has been so soft, so weak and anemic in our faith. And their prayers are that followers of Jesus in the U.S. would rise up, would stand up, and be warriors of faith, hope, and love. So we need to get on our knees. He told Timothy, Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. We need to fight the good fight of faith with armor on our knees. So as we wrap up, I want to invite you to pray. I want you to get on your knees and fight. That's where the battle is won. It's not in the marketplace. It's, it's fought on our knees. I want to invite you to Zoom prayer weekday mornings at 9 a.m. I want to invite you to Sunday morning prayer over here in this, this room at 9.30 on Sundays. I want to invite you to pray with your life group, your spouse, with your family. I know many of you, you're fearful about the future. And let me restate what I said my very first sermon here eight years ago, fear not, fear God. No matter what happens Tuesday, no matter what happens next year, no matter what happens with the stock market, no matter what happens with whatever, fear not, fear God. As I said last week, what you fear most is your God. So you can fear God and make him your God, or you can fear whatever, fill in the blank. I talked to a lot of you, a lot of you live in fear, and it's not just you, statistically speaking, 
one stat I saw said 70% of Christians in the U.S. right now are just living in fear, just all panicked about the future. Family, we know who wins. We are victorious. It is a battle. There are losses. There are casualties in battles. But we know the end of the story. So we need to fight the good fight of faith. Consider these profound words from one of Jesus' three best friends. You belong to God. You've already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in this world. When you feel afraid, get on your knees and do something about it. I'll say it one more time. Someone needs to hear this today. When you feel afraid, get on your knees and do something about it. Paul continues, we're just going to hit these closing words. I like to hit every verse when we tackle a book of the Bible together. He says, pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. He says, I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. And family, I just want to say to you, pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. To bring you up to date, Tychicus will give you a full report about what I'm doing and how I'm getting along. He's a beloved brother and a faithful helper in the Lord's work. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how you are doing and to encourage you. And what, what I like about this passage, it doesn't have any significance, relevance to us probably today. But it's just another reminder, these are real people, real history, real times, places. And then he says this, Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters. And may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. And I was thinking about how to close today, how to close this series. And I really don't know a better way than to close with this. So would you please stand? And we're going to use this verse, these verses, as our benediction, as our closing prayer. First Alliance Church, peace be with you, my dear brothers and sisters. And may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.